All right, we are on part three of our Church Essentials series. Um, we've been looking at what makes the church the church. And the best way we thought to do that was to look at Acts 2, the first church. And so you might have heard, you know, we'll look at the verse, that the church, right, um, Luke writes, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so we've been talking about, like, you know, you may have heard that the apostles' teaching, you might have thought, you know, that, that they were just teaching about Jesus. But the first week we learned that, no, they're not just teaching about Jesus. They're teaching about the implications of following Jesus. And then the second <laughs> one uh, is, you know, we've, we've talked about, um, Kotz, last week talked to Kotz talked about fellowship and how it's koinonia. And we might think koinonia is just like hanging out, you know, we're hanging out, we're having fellowship outside, and we're just hanging out. But we learn that that is not what it is. What it is is sharing our resources with one another. It's, it's that idea of just sharing what we have with one another. And so today we're going to be talking about breaking bread. And you might think breaking bread is communion, what we did last week, where we take the bread and the juice and we remember what Christ has done on the cross. And if you thought that, you're right. There's no, that's part of it, right? Breaking bread is remembering, you know, who Christ is and, and taking that bread and the, you know, that was broken for us and the, the blood that was poured out for us. But it also means sharing a meal together. And so that's what we're going to be talking today about is sharing a simple meal to sharing a simple meal together. And sharing meals in the first century was so important. I mean, we think it's important today, but it was so important back then. Not in the way that kind of we think where, you know, a family that eats together, stays together, you know, and it's good, we need to have family meals together. It wasn't like that. In the first century, meals were like the social boundary that determined, you know, who you were, where your status was, who you belonged to. It was the way that, you know, the people um, decided who was important and who was not important. It was a way that these social boundaries were displayed and maintained. So if you were a tax collector pretty much you were going to eat meals with other tax collectors, right? If you were a Pharisee, you were going to eat meals with Pharisees. If you were sinners, you were going to eat with sinners. And that's why it was so important that the disciples, that they belonged to Jesus, and so they ate together. They shared meals together. That's why it was so important when, um, you know, the, the tax collectors, you know, Jesus had meal, has meals with tax collectors and sinners, and it was like, wow, Jesus is breaking these social boundaries. Like, they are not supposed to belong to Jesus. He's a Jew, and he's, you know, this rabbi, and what's going on? And that's why the Pharisees got so angry and upset, because Jesus broke the social boundaries. And so meals were so important to the first century church. And Jews in the early church, you know, the Jewish Christians, right, They Christians came from the Jewish movement. And so a lot of the first Christians were Jewish, Jewish. And Jews had this law, this purity law of, of how they prepared food and what kind of foods they ate. So the early church, right, mostly Christians followed these laws where they could only eat certain types of food. And Jewish people only ate with Jewish people. 
And so this was fine for the early church, right? Because they're like, hey, you know, this is what we belong. We are some Jewish people that are followers of Christ, and we can share a meal together. And it wasn't a big deal. And then there were some Gentiles who became Christians, and they're like, that's okay. You know, if you want to eat with us, then you need to follow the laws, the Jewish purity laws. And so like, oh, that's okay. But then when thousands of Gentiles became Christians, right, the church is like, oh, what are we going to do now, right? Like, all of the, if, if, if we do it the way we've been doing it, like, all of these Gentile Christians would have to not only just be Christian, but they would have to become Jewish, too, if we were going to eat together and share a meal together and fellowship with one another. Because Jews were not allowed, because of the dietary laws, they were not allowed to go in Gentiles' homes. And so these churches where they met and from house to house, it's like, well, we're having these, these churches and people's homes, but here's the dilemma. We have Jewish Christians who have these dietary pur- purity laws, but then we have these Gentile Christians who they weren't allowed to, to mix. They weren't allowed to eat at the same table. They weren't allowed to go in people's homes. And so what was the church to do? Can these two communities come together? And if they did come together, what would that look like? So the Jewish community, you know, they they wanted to be like a family, these Jewish Christians. They wanted the church to be like a family where, where they shared life together, where they shared meals together, right? We talked about how they shared resources together. And the Jews... How do I say this nicely? (laughs) Okay. That, you know, for Jews, obedience and disobedience to the laws really reflected one's faithfulness and unfaithfulness. So if you were a Jew and you broke the law, then the implication was you were unfaithful to God. And so many Jews resolved to not eat food with Gentiles because they're like, if we eat food with Gentiles... Then we're going to be disobedient, and that means that we're going to look unfaithful to God. So what happened was some Jews, and there's historical writing that show that some Jews resolved not to eat food with Gentiles, and they would rather die than be defiled by food. And so if you're a Gentile and you're like, you would rather die than share a meal with me, of course they're going to take offense to that, right? I mean, who wouldn't be offended by that? And so food was really like a sore subject between the Jews and the Gentiles. And as this dialogue went back and forth, you know, food was really like a tool that they used, a weapon that they used to hurt one another. And there would be this, like, negative rhetoric that was going on. And And so it was just a sore subject. And if you can imagine, you know, these disputes that they had over, look, we have these Jewish Christians and we have these Gentile Christians. How should we include the Gentile Christians that the disputes got ugly, that they were mean, that they're, you know, as, as more, you know, they talked about food, that there was more tension and there was more friction. And it was just a big, serious problem. It's not like, hey, what are we going to do? I mean, it was just, if you can imagine, like, the climate that we live in today, it was probably way worse, right? And so how was the church going to include them? How, how was the church family going to include the Gentile Christians and become one big family? 
Well, in Acts 10, Luke tells a story about Peter. And Peter was a Jew. He was one of Jesus' apostles. And he was one of the closest, you know, he was part of Jesus' in crowd. And, and he um, was hungry. And he fell asleep. There, he's waiting for the food to be cooked. And he fell asleep. And during his nap time, he had a vision from God. And in his vision, God basically said, look, the food that you once counted as unclean is clean. And, you know, he brought down this food. And Peter's like, oh. And he's like, you kill and eat it. And Peter's like, he hesitated. And he's like, surely not, Lord. I'm not going to do that. And he's like, no, come on. And three times, right, Peter's like, surely not, Lord. Surely not. I'm not going to do that. And if you can imagine how hard it was for Peter, like for generation after generation after generation, there were these laws, there were these rules that, they, that he'd grown up, that he'd known that you're not supposed to eat. And, and how was he supposed to make this change? Like this was a big ask from God. How is he supposed to change this, this tradition that he's lived with and his father and his father after him? Just how was he supposed to make this change? And then God said, okay, I want you to go to Cornelius' house. And Cornelius was a Gentile. And he's like, okay, you know, this is like, you not only want me to eat this food that we've been saying has been unclean, is clean, and now you want me to go to this Gentile's house. And so these men come, and they go, and he take him to, they take him to Cornelius' house. And you can imagine how hard it must have been for Peter to walk over there. Just even the, the walking must have been like, oh, wow. Because a lot, of Jewish Christ, a lot of Jewish people just had these ideas, these perceptions, these, these judgments about Gentiles and, and what kind of homes they lived in. And, and I mean, the stories that you read about these crazy things that, I mean, I don't know if it's true, but these, there's just these stories that happen in Gentiles' homes that just seem like, oh, man, it's so dirty and unclean. Like, I would never want to walk in there. And so if you can imagine, Peter, like, okay, I'm going to go to Cornelius' house. I don't know what to expect. I don't know what it's going to be like. And then if you can imagine Cornelius, because he had his own vision of, you know, of, of Peter coming to his house. And he's like, okay, you know, this, this Jewish man is going to come to my house. And, and I know these, I have these judgments and these perceptions and these, you know, these pious Jews who are too good to eat with us, you know, and he's coming to my house. And, and, and there's all these ideas of what's going to happen. And so Peter reaches Cornelius's house and, and, and Cornelius, you know, he just, he sees Peter and he just falls at his feet and Peter's like, get up, get up, I'm just a man. But, you know, he's like, I don't know what to do. You know, he's like this man from, you know, he knows Jesus is one of the apostles, I don't know. And so he gets up, and then, you know, Peter sees this crowd of Gentiles. And then he begins to say, he says, you know, it's forbidden for a Jewish man to mix with, a, mix with or visit a Gentile. I love Peter. He just gets right into it. Like, it's awkward. Let's just talk about it. And he's like, okay, you know, it's, it's forbidden for a Jew. But God showed me that, that I should call nobody common or unclean. And so he made, you know, he's like, he makes the shift. And it's not that it happened overnight and that everything was fine and loved. I mean, the church still struggled. Peter still struggled. But, but he made that first little step. And so he came in, and, and, and he asked him, you know, like, okay, um, what's the reason why you sent me? And Cornelius tells him about his vision 
and how God gave him a vision and, and that, had that, the vision that Peter was going to come to his house. And, and Peter, you know, they're talking, and Peter's like, wow, okay, um, God does talk to Gentiles, you know? And so, you know, Peter preaches to them, and, and they become believers, and they get baptized, and the Holy Spirit comes in a powerful way. And one of, of, Jewish, one of the Jewish companions that came with Peter was like, Wow, even the Holy Spirit comes upon the Gentiles. I mean, this is what, how they thought, what they thought of each other, right? They just thought so little of each other. But Peter understood that partnering with Jesus required this love, what we call agape, this love that is self-sacrificing, that really desires what's best for the other person. And that God was requiring Peter to change his ways in order to make Jesus' love more tangible. And so God broke down these social barriers, broke down the walls that divided the Jews and the Gentiles, that kept the Jews and the Gentiles from relating, to, from relating with one another, from sharing a meal, from you know, visiting each other's homes. And he made a way so that they could come together and share a meal, that this, there was a new social boundary marker that was created where both Jew and Gentile became God's family together as one. And so now it was like they all belonged. It's like, you know, they all belonged to Jesus. They were all a part of God's family. And it was difficult I wish I could say, oh, you know what? Peter and Cornelius, like they totally were the example and the model, and everyone was like, ooh, we want to be like them. And, you know, it was so easy and just give up their food, Dr. Eliza, and no one said anything. About it. But it was difficult. It wasn't easy. But the early church was determined to become one family. And, and sometimes I thought, you know, when I first read this, I'm like, well, you know, in my consumeristic western thinking like why couldn't there just have been a jewish christian church and a gentile christian church and they could fellowship with one another and they could fellowship with one another like that seems like the easy simple solution they go to their house just easy but god desires so much more from us that can you imagine that when they came together and ate together and worshiped together, when they experienced that, you know, understanding of one another, getting to know one another, seeing and valuing one another, that reconciliation, that, that healing, that love, and that forgiveness, what a testimony of who our Lord is. What a testimony of healing. Because there was such animosity and hatred, which was replaced with understanding and love. What a story of God's love and healing and forgiveness where both the Jews and the Gentiles had to change their ways. They had to humble themselves and change the way they thought and the things that they did so that one was not better than the other, but both of them had to change. Both of them could come into the family of God on the same terms where there would be no favoritism. 
And so later on in Acts um, 2, it says, Day by day they were all together attending the temple. They broke bread in their various houses and ate their food with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and standing in favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being rescued. And you're like, yes. Oh, wait, more people is going to cause more problems. No, no, Jesus, we were going to rely and trust in you, right? You're going to work it out. But sharing a meal in this context was a symbol of their commitment, the church's commitment to one another no matter what. No matter what happened before, no matter how different we are, that, that sharing a meal was a symbol of, our, of their commitment to one another. I found a, um, I found a copy of a, of a story on CNN, <laughs> and it kind of illustrates what the church went through, and it's on CNN, and so whatever happened to, you know, these people, so you're going to see a story about two senators, uh, <laughs> you're like, what are you talking about, okay, it's political, I'm not going to lie, they talk about President Trump, um, but try and get past that past what you believe about CNN. Oh, look, someone's walking out now. No, yeah. <laughs> get past what you think about politics and President Trump and just like hear the story of these two guys and what they're trying to do and the purpose that they're trying to accomplish, okay? All right, let's watch it. It was really good. <laughs> okay, I don't remember their names. I'm so bad with details. I'm going to try and tell the story. But on CNN, there was a story about a senator from Oklahoma and a senator from North Carolina. And one was African American and one was white. And they were like, okay, you know, there's this big racial divide. And this happened, they explained it happened like a year and a half ago before President Trump became President Trump. And they're like, you know, we have this um, racial divide. Like, right, last year a lot of stuff was going down. So they came together and they called Sunday Solution. And so they challenged their constituents to come together and have Sunday dinner with someone of another race. And they were talking, you know, so they had this table, and they had, you know, people of different color, they had, you know, of different races, and they just talked. And they were talked about the value of coming together and sharing a meal and just being face-to-face -face and connecting with one another. They put aside their, you know, their, their politics, and they're like, let's just get to know one another. And so I think these two senators, you know, they, they were starting this dialogue and they wanted to kind of break down the walls and the barriers and, and they wanted to figure this thing out. Like, we have this problem, how do we figure it out together? And I feel like God is doing the same thing with us. That God broke down the barriers that, you know, Peter and Cornelius had. 
that God was breaking the barriers of, that the Gentile and the, the Jewish Christians had. And I think that he still wants to break down the barriers that we have and face today. And for those people who had the lunch, you know, the Sunday solutions, it was awkward, right? They don't know what to say. You don't want to offend. It was awkward for Peter and Cornelius, and I'm sure it was awkward for the, for the church, the early church. And you know what? It's going to be awkward for us. But I think God is, is requiring us and challenging us, just like he was with Peter, to go deeper, to kind of, you know, get out of our comfort zone and um, to practice that love that he showed us, you know, that self-sacrificing love that desires the best for someone else. He wants us to humble ourselves and, and change the way we think and, and change the way we do things. A couple of weeks ago, um, I dropped a bomb on you guys. I remember sharing about how um, I was sexually harassed. And it was just kind of random because you know, we wanted to respond to the, the hashtag Me Too. And we just finished worship. And, and some of you are like, what? What's going on? <laughs> and I was like, oh, they are shocked. <laughs> but it's okay. I hope you heard what I said. But you know, we, we wanted to respond to the hashtag Me Too. Um, movement. And, you know, we didn't want men to feel threatened. We didn't want women to feel like, oh, this is your time to, you know, this is your cry for help. We just wanted to respond and, and, and share, and, and, you know, and we just want to respond in how, you know, we feel like God, Jesus would want us to respond. And I couldn't re- tell you, like, this is how you should respond without telling my story, right? That just seemed inauthentic to me. It just seemed weird. So I dropped the bomb, and I shared how when I was 24 which, you guys, was a long time ago, um, I was sexually harassed by one of the directors in um, my office. And as you can imagine, that there were just these, you know, these barriers, I mean, good barriers, legal barriers, where, you know, we, we didn't, after that happened, and, you know, I reported him, my direct report um, protected me, she was on my side, and, you know, we, we worked it out where, you know, um, he moved his office, and, and it was, it just... It couldn't have been any better for me. I really do feel like I was one of the lucky ones. But, you know, we were working, and it was just weird because, you know, we couldn't be, you know, we were just trying to navigate our way through the hallways or if we had meetings, and, and it was just this barrier, right? And so um, I decided, well, I had worked there, and my time was done because I wanted to go to seminary because I wanted to go into the ministry. And my direct report, she's a Christian, and she was so excited, you know, Lori, you're going to go into the ministry, and I'm so happy for you, and blah, blah, So she told the whole office, right? So everyone knows that I'm a Christian, and I'm quitting my job because I want to go to seminary. And so everyone knows, right? And so my time is coming close to an end, and um, I loved where I worked. I mean, I love everywhere I work. So I know it doesn't mean very much, but I really loved (laughs) where I worked. And so I bought the president, you know, a going away present. I bought the directors that I worked with a present. I brought my staff a present. I mean, I was just, I loved them. And so I remember thinking, do I buy this guy a present? Like, you know. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to take the high road. Because, you know, it was before Michelle Obama when they go high, or whenever we go low, we go high. But I was like, I'm going to take the high road, and I bought him a $10 a cheap bottle of wine. But that was my symbol of commitment. (laughs) 
<laughs> I still was human and was bitter and angry. <laughs> but I bought him a $10 bottle of wine, and I'm on the phone, and I'm telling my friend, you know, yeah, I bought him a bottle of wine, and I'm going to be the bigger person in this, you know, and I'm leaving because I'm going to seminary. And so as I said that, God just was, like, so sweet. And I was just like, you know, Lord, I forgave you. And can you extend that forgiveness to this man? And I was like, oh, yeah, it's not about me. It's about you. Because I'm going to seminary, and everyone knows. And, and this is about your reputation and your name. And, and so I was like, yes, Lord, I can. And so I wrote him a note, and I said, dear blah, blah, blah. I said, I just want you to know that I forgive you. And I truly want and wish you the best in your work and with your family. And I left that note with my cheap bottle of wine on his desk because I knew they were at a meeting. And then I left. And he came back from the meeting. And five minutes later, we were kind of in this public area. And he came out. And he said, thank you for the wine. And thank you for your gift. And I wish you the best, too. And I just pray, and I just like to think that, you know, we could have left, we could have never talked to each other, but God desires healing and reconciliation and forgiveness and freedom and peace and joy. And that we could not have had that if, if there wasn't that, that symbol of commitment that, you know what, no matter what happened, no matter our differences, that I am committed to, to wanting the best for you because that's what Jesus wants. And I like to think that at that moment, you know, because of God's conviction to me that there was just a little bit more heaven here on earth. And so as we move and, and move forward from today and, and as we think about, you know, what what our church is like and, and what church we want to be. I really want to encourage you. You know, the meal for the first church, that was their symbol of commitment to one another no matter what. But what, what can be a symbol for, for you and your situation? You know, it could be a meal. It could be, it could be the, you know, your coworker's kind of irritating and there's a wall. You know, and you might want to just take your coworker out for lunch. If your pastor's irritating you, you, you could take her out to lunch. It's okay. <laughs> but what is that one thing, that symbol of commitment to want the best for that person, no matter what? Let's pray.